Welcome back to the LSCC podcast. Let's get into our series, Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, as you heard, we are finishing up our series of Ezra and and Nehemiah. And to some of you, that probably brings uh, joy. And to some of you, you probably don't care uh, one way or the other. Uh, There has been some ups and downs through this series as we've followed the text. And we've stayed true to the text. So at times that Ezra and Nehemiah were celebrating, uh, we celebrated along with them and At times, like last week, if you're familiar with chapter 13, um, that wasn't exactly a high point, I think, of of Nehemiah's ministry or of that book, and so it's a little bit of a, ah, right? And there was several, several of those moments as we studied through both of these books. But we finish up today, and we finish up on a phrase, remember Oh my God. And uh, there's six different uses of this uh, in Nehemiah. And I thought it would be a good way uh, to close uh, this series up. Uh, There's four sort of what I would call sort of positive um, affirmations of this. And then two where he's actually asking God to remember his enemies and the things that he did. Uh, But we're going to focus, I guess, less on this phrase and the uses of it, and more on, you'll see there at the very end, of Matthew 25, 21. As I was thinking about this weeks ago and how we were going to close this series and thinking about this phrase, remember me, oh my God, I couldn't help but think of well done, good and faithful servant. And that we see that in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. And really what Nehemiah is doing when he says, remember me, oh my God, is to look back on his life, look back on his calling, what he came from Persia to do, the building part and the building up of the people in conjunction with Ezra. And he's saying, remember me for good. He's not saying reward me and none of those things. He's asking God to remember what he did. He's asking God to remember his faithfulness to what God called him to. And I think we all want to be at the end of our lives and say something like that. God, remember me for good. God, remember me for these things. We're not asking for some reward. We're asking God in all of his mercy and grace uh, that he would remember us for what we did with, with what he gave us. And that's really what that parable is talking about. And of course, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, if you are normally with us, uh, we'll stand here in a moment if you're able to read the scriptures. And normally we're reading uh, several verses in a row. Um, you're welcome to grab the Bible and jump with me through this, but we're going to be reading those verses, which will be on the screen Um, just to see the different places that this phrase is used. And then, of course, finishing up with the Matthew uh, 25 verse. And uh, and we'll jump into the message. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we honor God's word? Starting in uh, Nehemiah 5.19, Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. 
Jump to chapter 6, verse 14, and we see one of the times where he's asking him to remember his enemies. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah and the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to make me afraid. And chapter 13 is where we see the bulk of these. Remember me for this, oh my God, and do not blot out my loving kindness, which I have shown for the house of my God and its responsibilities. Verse 22, And I said to the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and come as gatekeepers to keep the Sabbath day holy. For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Verse 29, Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood, and the Levites. And then finally, as the book closes, we see this, remember me, oh my God, for good. Matthew 25, 21, and his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together today as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as we lift up your word this morning, we pray that the truths that are revealed to us will be clear. So clear that we can walk out of here and immediately begin applying them, God, as you would have us do. Lord, I think of those that couldn't be with us this morning uh, as I, I, there's a pretty big sickness rolling around young families and whatnot, Lord, we pray for rest and recuperation uh, for those kids and for the parents that, that probably have to work on top of it. God, we pray for uh, them to just come to full healing and things get back to normal. Or we pray for those this morning uh, that are with us or those that are watching at another time who hear the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, and, and might not know what that is or what that's for. God, I pray this morning that through your word and through the Holy Spirit that they would come away from the message today knowing clearly what that is, what you're all about, and what we're supposed to be all about through you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So like pastors do when, uh, by the way, I've got like OCD. So if you see me moving these little disc things, it drives me nuts that they're out of place. Um, anyway, uh, like pastors do, we try and find catchy, pithy ways of, of, of titling sermons and, and, and finding the bullet points and some pastors are really good at alliteration, you know, where all the points will start with A or whatever. I'm not particularly good at that, nor do I like it, uh, but that works for some. And as I was kind of wrestling with this one, I thought to myself, as I think about Nehemiah and his ministry, and I think about this phrase, uh, remember me, oh God, uh, for good, 
And then I think about the Matthew 25 verse, well done, good and faithful servant. What are the things that we could pull out of those six uh, phrases that he uses? Uh, what are the things that we could pull out of this? How do we, how do we get there, right? And so I was coming up with all of this different stuff, and it occurred to me that we've already done a pretty good job of that with the mission that we have here at the church. And I thought, pastors are supposed to go through the mission once or twice a year. What better time than now? And and I do think that it is very fitting, as you'll see when we walk through. But if you're unfamiliar, our mission here is to love God, love others, be the church. Uh, You you hear that at the end of our worship set. Uh, Joe usually says that. And uh, every week we say that in one form or another. And so I thought, well, let's just unpack that a little bit with what we see and what we've learned through this study. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to take these one at a time, and each one of these will have a little subpoint. And Walter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're posting these now, right? So you don't need to take pictures or, or whatever. Um, you can, but it, the, 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 the slides will be posted. So we're going to work through these one at a time. So let's start with love God. So how do we love God? Well, this may seem like a Captain Obvious statement, but I do think it's one that needs to be said. The first way that we love God is through believing. I don't know what your faith background is, I don't know how new that is or how old that is. Depending on where you're coming from, this could be something different for you in the way that you were uh, raised or or trained in the faith as a younger person. Uh, The first way that we love God is to believe. I'm going to look at a couple verses. Probably the most famous verse, at least in the New Testament, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so when this verse gets talked about, uh, one of the things that gets focused on is that for God so loved the world. We get hung up in these theological conversations about well, what, what does the world mean and who all does that encompass and all of that? And we kind of miss the point of the whole verse. Who, that whoever believes in him. So this isn't your mom or dad's faith. This isn't your pastor's faith. This is your faith, whoever believes in him. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 say this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, for with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, right standing with God, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. So you'll often hear me say, call on Lord Jesus Is Jesus your Lord? Have you confessed and repented? Here's the confession part. And here's the repent part. Acts 17, 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding men that everyone everywhere should repent. So believe is to confess 
and repent. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, repents, will receive compassion. And this is an important verse, again, because I don't know everyone's faith background. I, I know this community here has a long-standing faith background of uh, Catholic, and I've, I've heard a number of you say that you're recovering Catholics, and so verses like this can be somewhat troublesome uh, because we can think to ourselves that we have some part in our salvation, that it's works-based, you might hear it. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 it tells us otherwise. For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, the believing part. And this is not of yourselves. This is not of your doing. It is a free gift of God. This was given to us. We didn't do anything for it. Not of works. So again, we're not doing anything to earn this. It's a gift so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And so one easy way to think about this is to, is to think we're not saved by our works, by our good works, but we're saved for our good works. And what that does is should propel us forward in our faith that, that we're not supposed to be uh, stagnant, that we're not supposed to be passive, that it's supposed to be an active faith for good works. That's what is intended. That's what is commanded. And finally, a, a verse that sort of pushes against uh, our modern uh, culture and society that would tell you that there's lots of ways to Christ. Uh, if you believe the Bible and the Bible is your utmost authority, then that's just simply not true. And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and that's the foundation that we live our lives on, then there's just simply no other way but this to inherit eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but through the Father. Second, obey. This is the one that people have struggled with a little bit as we've worked through in Nehemiah because there's been a lot about obeying. Of course, it's an Old Testament book, and so we see the law, and we wonder, well, how does this affect my, my life now thousands of years later, and we, we're not under the law in the same way and all that kind of stuff. So there's been some struggle with this that I've talked to a number of people about as we've worked through. Obey as we continue to work through here, would sort of, I guess, um, encompass or be the umbrella word over everything that, that comes past this. So we believe, and then we obey. Uh, Jesus answered them, John 14, 23, Jesus answered them and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our a dwelling with him. So if we love Jesus, we say we love Jesus, then we'll keep his word. James 1.22, but become doers 
of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's really easy um, as, a, as a Christian to come to church and do church things and, and be hearers of the word and not doers of the word. It's a really easy thing to do. And I think if we evaluated our lives, there's probably seasons when we're doing this better or worse. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we talk about this a lot here, and it's one of the reasons that we teach the way that we teach, primarily going book by book, verse by verse. And so scripture is the foundation of everything that that comes after it. When we talk about believing and then obeying, what is the authority to which we're obeying? We have the instruction manual right here. And that's at the foundation of what we obey. Now we can decide how closely we want to follow that or how far away we want to stay from it, but it's there regardless as our standard. Third, and we see this in Ezra, we see it in Nehemiah, and you might not immediately think of this statement this way, but remember me, oh my God, for good is actually a short little prayer. So there's six of those in here along with the other bigger prayers that we see from Nehemiah in this book, and we saw similar things in the book of Ezra. So if we're loving God, we're believing, we're obeying, and then we're praying. And surely I could fill this in with all sorts of other things, but these were three things that that stood out to me most. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to talk briefly about these last two points of obey and pray. Some of you are going through hard times, or you've gone through a hard time and it's lingering. If you've been in prayer and you've confessed those things, whatever they are, you can leave them there. Obedience would be leaving them there. If you've not done that, then obviously we need to do that in prayer. We need to do that in confession uh, with the Lord through prayer or maybe with another believer. One of the things that I see as as a pastor, especially in counseling situations, somebody will come in, will start talking about whatever it is that's going on, and inevitably that's anchored to something back here, that's anchored to something back here, that's anchored to something back here. 
And so I ask, have you given those things over to the Lord? Well, whatever they are. Yes. You might not like what I'm going to say next, but I believe that it's true. If you've confessed it to the Lord and given it over to the Lord, and you've not let it go, aren't you in a way sort of nullifying God's sacrifice? Aren't you kind of saying, thanks, Jesus, but that wasn't good enough. I'm going to hang on to it. And so if we're loving God, we're believing, we're obeying, we're praying, and when we do those things, what we give over to God is God's now. Now, that doesn't mean that we forget these things or that it doesn't pop up or we hear a song or see a person or whatever and these things pop back into our mind, but are they controlling us? Are they making our decisions go one way or another? Or have we truly given this over to God? Next is love others in our mission. And the first uh, lesson that I thought about uh, with Nehemiah and with our mission is teach. Now Ezra took the bulk of that as the priest, but, but Nehemiah was certainly involved. So what does scripture say about teaching? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you, teaching them to obey. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've talked about this at different sections as we've worked through here, but just for the sake of saying it one more time, teaching just doesn't come from me. Teaching just doesn't come from Sue or, or Pete, somebody leading a Bible study. The Bible tells us that we're all to do this, that we're all ministers of the word. Now, are some more schooled? Are some fortunate and blessed enough to be able to vote our, our whole a week to this, to be able to talk to a number of people at the same time. Yes, but we all have a responsibility. If you have children, especially young children, that responsibility is even greater. Much like I have a responsibility that I'm going to be held account to uh, someday in the future uh, for uh, teaching you all you're going to be held accountable for what you're teaching your kids. This is an important part of our faith. This is an important part of loving others. Secondly is help. As I was thinking about these remember me statements, remember me, oh my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Remember me for this, O oh my God, and do not blot out my loving kindness, which I have shown for the house of my God and its responsibilities. The other one in chapter 5 is talking about Nehemiah helping, and, and the way that he was helping was through uh, leadership. 
We've got an obligation when we're loving others to help. I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, how two guys walk around the person in need and, and the third one stops and helps. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm guessing you've had even recent opportunities to lend a hand to help. Were you like the first two or were you like the third who stopped and helped? There's so many different ways that we can do that. And it doesn't just have to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Obviously, we're to take care of our own. We've got funds for that at the church. I know that we do meals and and GoFundMes and those kinds of things for one another. But this is also how we interact in our communities, in our neighborhoods. This is a big part of our witness is helping. You're the hands and feet of Christ, Paul says. The third one is to encourage And I want to start someplace that might not seem obvious with this one when you hear the word encourage. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Those little phrases don't sound much like encouragement, do they, as we think of it? Encouragement, like when we hear the word, it's like, yeah, good job, good job, buddy, go, you know rah-rah kind of a thing. Biblical encouragement, when we look at it, is as much this as it is the way that we think about encouragement. One of the conversations that I've had with folks that have struggled with Ezra and Nehemiah, thinking where is the rally, where is the rah-rah, is that this is part of encouragement. With encouragement comes discipline. We're disciplining ourselves. Anything that we've accomplished in life, there's been some discipline with it that it requires. Our reading plan right now, uh, I'm not going to have a show of hands of how many people are up to date because I'm going to guess that's not hands that I want to see, but it's a discipline, right? And that's not to guilt trip anybody, oh my gosh, I'm a week behind, but it's a discipline, As we put ourselves in these habits, they become more and more normal. And so that's part of an encouragement. I'm encouraging uh, Joe, I like to pick on you. I'm I'm encouraging Joe uh, to be in that regularly. So here's what we might think of more when we hear the word encouragement. Therefore, uh, comfort one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, remember we're under the love others heading here, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. So the reason that I use this first before I use this is because this comfort comes in a number of ways. Yes, it's a shoulder to lean on. 
yes, it's a shoulder that there, that's there for advice. Where should that advice be rooted in? Scripture, right? One at all possible. And how we then take Scripture and see how that's melded with our lives and our experiences. And then, then maybe we use personal application or personal experience. But that's how we're comforting one another. Last in our mission, so love God, love others, be the church. Now, be the church could mean a lot of things, and it's going to mean more than what I'm throwing up on the screen today. Uh, But for those that come back next week and for the several weeks after that, our next series is going to be uh, a topical one, six or seven weeks long, uh, called What is the Church? So the intention with this series is to look first biblically at what the Bible says the church is. And some of that is probably going to align with what you think the church is, and some of it's not. And then at the end of the series, we'll talk more specifically about LSCC and some of our distinctives and that sort of a thing. But that'll be the next six or seven weeks. But for now, be the church. The first thing that we should do is recognize what our mission is. So if you believe that Christ is Lord, you've confessed and repented and you're loving God and you're loving others in the ways that we've already talked about, we should recognize what our mission is. Our mission isn't just to walk through some doors on a Sunday morning. Our mission isn't just to open up uh, the Bible at a prayer time in the morning or just to do this or that. It's all-encompassing. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we get that when we confess and repent and call on Jesus as Lord. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Paul uses lists in many of his letters, and this one's a geographical list, so Jerusalem would have been the center And Judea and Samaria would have been sort of the next rung out, and then obviously to the ends of the earth. Our missions here at the church works similarly. The preschool, the learning center, would be, you know, Jerusalem. The church inside the walls, the ministries that we have would be Jerusalem. Some of the stuff that extends beyond the walls. But as we go into Marquette and the UP or downstate or whatever, you know, for us, that's Judea and Samaria. And of course, those that we're able to support that are doing missions overseas would be taking the gospel through us, through your giving, through the support, and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the mission. This is what we need to recognize if we're a believer in Christ. Now, recognizing it is not enough. This is the be the church part, the emphasis on doing. We need to embrace that. We've talked a lot through this series about how we interact with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and how we have responsibilities to one another in this building, in these seats, individually. We have responsibilities in our families and neighborhoods and workplaces and all of that, are we embracing the mission? 
Are we embracing taking the gospel, taking the good news out of these walls, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, places that we travel, whether we do it ourselves or we are able to send other people, are we embracing that? What can happen in churches is that we sort of get insulated. Or um, Jim Collins, if you've ever read anything by him, would, would call that a, a silo. We are in the boundaries of this wall, and for some, in the boundaries of this auditorium. If we're recognizing what the mission is in, in Acts 1.8, and we're embracing what the mission is, then you will feel compelled to not keep that in these walls, to not keep that at LSCC. You'll feel compelled to take that out with you. And finally, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what we have to do to get to that point. Persevere. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. I don't know the first place that I heard it. It might have been my first pastor or something that I read, but it was very early in my walk. And it was this, that the gospel is easy, but it's not lazy. The gospel's easy, but it's not lazy. Easy because, like we talked about in that very first bullet point, we, we believe, we confess, we, we repent, call on Jesus as Lord, and we begin that path. Paul talked about working out our salvation. But it's not easy. Fight the good fight. That doesn't sound like easy street, does it? If you know anything about Paul's life, it was anything but easy. A little longer stretch here. I just love this passage so much. This is, this is Paul sort of signing off and, and, and handing things off to Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience in teaching. And Paul's saying this to his protege, but it doesn't just apply between Paul and Timothy. This is a charge that we have as believers in Christ. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They, the world and, and even believers, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. One of the reasons that I don't skip over a chapter like Nehemiah 13, which I very well could have, 
or earlier chapters of difficulty is because if I did that, I would be doing what Paul's talking about in paragraph number two. I would be more worried about tickling your ears, telling you what you want to hear than what Scripture says. Now, certainly I have shortfalls and shortcomings as a teacher. Could I deliver that better? Could I have more compassion? Could I do this? Yes, I'm not talking about the delivery method. I'm talking about actually saying it and not skipping over it. Because this is what we want. We talked a couple weeks ago about correction and conflict and how we like to step away from it because it doesn't feel good. We don't want to give it, and we certainly don't want to take it. But if we don't do that with one another, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and teaching, we have to do this. This is part of perseverance. This is part of being the church. But you, Timothy, but us, be sober in all things. Endure hardship, persevere, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, be the church. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's kind of signing off here. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. It's a phrase that we would all like to be able to say at the end of our walk. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, brothers and sisters in Christ, now, tomorrow, and before, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. As you're encountering difficulties, and you will, you may be right now. And if you're not, you will tomorrow or next month or next year. Don't let these just be words on a screen. Don't let those just be words on a page. This is a form of encouragement. We should look at what Jesus did for us, what he endured, and use that as a picture of perseverance, a picture of endurance that we're to model ourselves. Full circle. So loving God, loving others, being the church. That's not an exhaustive list of things, of lessons that we can learn today, but it's certainly enough to chew on for some time. It's enough for us to look and see, how am I doing in these areas? Am I a believer? How do I know that I'm a believer? We talked about a lot of those things. That's one 
one way that you can measure yourself. How am I doing? But this is what we're after. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. We've been given everything that we need to succeed in this way. We have more opportunity to be the church than in any time in history. I forget how many, there's like 60 translations of the Bible just in English alone. There's not a language barrier anymore. It's more expensive to fly than it was a couple years ago, but it's not that expensive. Not if you make that a priority. And look, I've been overseas and done those things and worked in the underground church, and it was fantastic, and I would go back and do it again, but you don't have to do that. You can be Christ and show Christ to your neighbor or start at home if you're struggling doing that. You can be Christ and show Christ in your workplace without even being explicit about that. What kind of an employee are you? What kind of a supervisor are you? What kind of conversations are you getting yourself into? You know, where the donuts and water and all of that stuff are. Are they things that if somebody walked by and saw you partaking in, that's a Christian. That's what I want to be. Something to measure ourselves against. It's boundless, the opportunities that we have to be the church. I'm hoping that as we worked through that today, that maybe at least one thing stuck out to you that I struggle in this area or I could improve this area or I didn't even think about that. It's a lot of different things. I wouldn't expect everyone to take in whatever, but I know that there's something. Maybe you need to work on loving God and what that means. Maybe you're doing that pretty good, but it needs to extend to others now. And maybe you're checking those two boxes pretty well, and now it needs to spread. I think the mission, love God, love others, be the church, like the gospel, is easy, but we can't be lazy. So let's not be lazy. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, time that we can talk about you and your word and, and what that means for us. Lord, this mission is not unique to Lake Superior Christian Church. Love God, love others, be the church. This is the mission of every Christian of everyone that calls on Jesus as Lord, as of everyone that's confessed and repented. Lord, I pray that uh, you would reveal in us where we can be pursuing you more.
And whether that's in the things that I talked about today or other areas, Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit will do that. And I pray that we would come to you with open hearts and open minds and seek that out. Your word will not return void. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to stay up to date with the latest information at lscc.tv. While you're there, click on Connect to find a way to get more involved at LSCC or learn about how to put your talents to work in one of our ministries. If you've been blessed by this podcast and call LSCC home, consider supporting LSCC financially by going to lscc.tv give. Big or small, every gift helps us in our mission to love God, love others, and be the church in our mission field, near and far. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.